0: Ukrainians prepare firewood and candles to brace for a winter of Russian strikes on their energy grid. We had more than 1,200 missiles and drones attacked energy infrastructure last year. Plus why Russia sees the crisis in the Middle East as a gift for a continued war on Ukraine.
1: That certainly plays to Putin's geopolitical advantage, but I think it's also imperative for the United States not to be distracted and to be a superpower that can walk and chew gum at the same time.
0: And later in the program, a former employee of the US National Security Agency, pleads guilty to trying to sell classified information to Russia. Today is Tuesday, October 24th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London in Washington. Last winter, Russian strikes on Ukrainian power plants impacted almost half the country's energy capacity. Many Ukrainians are expecting the same or even worse this winter and have spent months preparing. Associated Press correspondent Lawrence Brooks has the story. In the humble backyard of a destroyed house, a 13-year-old boy chops firewood to get ready for winter. His mother, Tetiana, has been preparing for months, as she remembers last winter's Russian strikes on energy infrastructure that plunged Ukraine into darkness. For her family, like other Ukrainians, winter is a particularly challenging time. Last year, millions across Ukraine had to learn to work, live and cover their basic needs without relying on electricity but this time, they say, they're better prepared. Sales of generators have exploded and some who can afford it have invested in solar panels. Others have been buying candles, flashlights, and stocking up on compact gas canisters. I'm Lawrence Brooks. And I spoke with energy expert Olena Pavlenko, president and co-founder of the Ukrainian think tank Dixie Group, on how leaders and the government is preparing for another winter without heat, lights, or electricity for homes, and other vital services like hospitals. It's my understanding that Russian airstrikes on power plants in the Ukraine war impacted almost half the country's energy capacity. Last winter?
2: Is that about accurate? Yes, uh, this is correct. Uh, as a result of Russian attacks of uh, on energy infrastructure, uh, Ukraine had more than 50% of energy infrastructure damaged. Uh, the most da- the most damages were in generation, especially coal-fired generation, and also on the networks. Uh, Russians hit uh, particularly uh, transformers and uh, the elements which actually allows electricity to flow between different regions. That is why we had uh, a lot of uh, blackouts and shortages of electricity. Uh, Average Ukrainian has uh, spent more than 30 days uh, without the electricity, almost a month, Not, not almost, more than a month, without the electricity last winter mm. so yes uh, the the infrastructure the energy system was damaged quite heavily last year and um, it took quite a lot of efforts and time and we have to speak frankly a lot, a lot of money to prepare for this uh, winter season uh, according to the reports of our energy companies we could not come back to the um, um, let's say level of generation and uh, capacity which we had before the last winter so we still cannot, let's say we are not so strong as we as we were last winter uh, that is why we have to prepare very well for, for potential attacks, And be sure that the new attacks uh, from Russia will not hit more our thermal power plants or our transformers uh, or electricity networks.
0: Despite being more sort of prepared, knowing that that's what Russia will likely do is to go after energy infrastructure, which it's already doing. It sounds like many Ukrainians are still expecting at least the same or even worse this coming winter. So being better prepared, last year just set the system back so far that even being more prepared doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be just as bad or worse. Well, everybody here is prepared to different
2: scenarios. Um, Again, as I said, uh, our companies are trying to find uh, solutions to hide some types of infrastructure, to protect it from potential drones attacks, for example. Uh, But at the same time, everybody, every consumer, I would say, is thinking how to survive in case uh, there are uh, electricity shortages or blackouts again uh, almost everybody i think uh, have has uh, this uh, batteries or possibilities to have some lamps which they can charge beforehand and uh, those who live in suburbs, uh, they usually buy generators and possibility to uh, to use generators on diesel or I don't know petroleum. Yes, and uh, and these uh, solutions like uh, accumulators, where you can connect, let's say, fridge or some basic stuff and survive for five, six hours. Again, is very it's very popular. People are trying to buy it and prepare for winter. In terms of the heat. Uh, a huge question, still no no clarity what will happen with the heating if Russia will continue its attacks. And if it's damaged some heating infrastructure, some of the cities, uh, they have found backup options, so, uh, but I'm pretty sure not so many of them. Uh, we'll see what, uh, what will happen.
0: It's the worst time to possibly be without electricity in the dead of winter when it's cold. And I would imagine particularly that would be not just impact, Elderly, but also just being in the dark and in the cold has to just sort of impact people's emotional state too, just to be able to sort of mentally get through it.
2: It's, yeah, it is hard, Uh, psychologically especially I think it's for old people who you know you cannot leave your house especially when you live in multi-flat building and and your elevator doesn't work Uh, the same goes with with the families with small children you cannot walk quite a lot um, up and down with the children uh, if you need to go somewhere with them so psychologically it is not easy I have to say and uh, even physically it is not uh, it is sometimes uh, creates a lot of pro- pro- problems uh, it it might create additional problems with the heating again the question with hospitals and with uh, other social infrastructure how to how to prepare for, for possible electricity outages and uh, and be able to provide the necessary services all this uh, uh, of course is very high on the agenda and again everybody is trying to prepare as much as possible um, we I have to say additionally that we had more than 1,200 uh, missiles and dro- drones attacked energy infrastructure last, he- last year. I, I don't know how much Russia is going to target uh, the, with, with how many missiles and drones Russia is going to target. Ukrainian energy infrastructure this this winter. But uh, um, we do hope that uh, the number of missiles decreased, they will not be so, uh, so frequent. Uh, although I think Russia will try to exchange frequency into, you know, being very precise and targeting very particular energy objects.
0: That's a difficult time and certainly for for ukrainians and particularly with this situation of winter coming and i know the world is is very focused on on what's happening in the middle east is there anything you want to want to say about the world not forgetting about what's happening in ukraine
2: well maybe i will start from Th- saying thank you for all the support which is already provided because we we still uh, do have partners, donors who are supporting Ukraine especially before the winter there are international companies who provide equipment uh, to Ukrainian energy companies to be able to have some backup equipment. Um, I just want to repeat again and again that uh, you probably can hide transformers but you cannot hide thermal power plant. For thermal power plants and big infrastructure objects. You need more strong air defense system. This is what Ukraine still needs and would be thankful for. And again, yes, uh, we still need a lot of additional equipment, uh, something to store near Ukraine to be able to quickly use it as a a, uh, backup option in case of damages. So please don't forget Ukraine. Uh, We still are in the middle of the war. We still will have not easy winter and uh, we still will need uh, and a lot of support, not to only to survive, but to win the war.
0: Olina Pavlenko, president and co-founder of the Ukrainian think tank, Dixie Group. We thank you so much. Ukraine's prime minister said Tuesday Kyiv will need some $44 billion from international partners to cover its wartime budget deficit next year, just as it did this year. President Joe Biden has requested funding for military aid for both Ukraine and Israel, but Congress can't vote to approve funding for either until the Republic majority elects a Speaker of the House of Representatives. Jillian Kitcher with Reuters produced this report. A speaker has not been elected.
3: It's back to the drawing board for House Republicans who are struggling to elect a new speaker amid party infighting that has paralyzed the chamber for three weeks. After former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's historic ouster, two would-be successors, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, have been cast aside. Now, a new slate of candidates are going after the gavel as the battle between right-wing hardliners and more mainstream Republicans rages on. If the conference can settle on its next nominee, the race again moves to the House floor. The House will come to order. Where 217 votes are needed. Since Republicans have a narrow nine-seat majority, there's not a lot of wiggle room. In the meantime, the chamber's to-do list continues to grow. Congress faces a November 17th deadline to avoid a government shutdown and a request from President Joe Biden to approve military aid for both Israel and Ukraine. That report produced by Jillian Kitcher with Reuters.
0: With a dangerous and escalating conflict brewing in the Middle East, Russia's ongoing invasion and daily attacks continue out of the spotlight. I spoke with Max Boot, historian, Washington Post columnist and senior fellow in National Security Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations about the implications of these competing conflicts. Russia's war on Ukraine, at least in the media, seems to have taken a backseat, being overshadowed, obviously, by what's happening in Israel with Hamas. By the Israeli crisis. Obviously, President Zelensky has been taking a very principled stand. But of course, he and the Ukrainian people are concerned that this new war could be an obstacle to their efforts to push back against Russia. How could this be to Russia's advantage? It, it would appear that Russia is already boasting that, that it's a gift to Putin. Do you agree? Well,
1: there's no question that, that the outbreak of this new war between Israel and Hamas helps Russia hurts Ukraine because it diverts the attention of the world. There's even some evidence that it's diverting U.S. military supplies with air defense systems going into the Middle East rather than to Ukraine, some artillery ammunition going to Israel rather than to Ukraine, and generally taking the focus off of all the evil that Russian forces are committing in Ukraine and entering the focus towards the casualties in Israel and the Gaza Strip. So that certainly plays to Putin's political advantage. But I think it's also imperative for the United States not to be distracted and to be a superpower that can walk
0: and chew gum at the same time. Do you foresee the potential for military aid from the U.S. going down as more money is sent to Israel? Of course, we already know we have a Congress that's paralyzed right now without a House speaker. That means they can't even vote. But it sounds like Ukraine is going to be another sticking point again.
1: Yeah, I think the, the real sticking point for Ukraine is our own political paralysis more than the crisis between Israel and Hamas. You know, when the House is like a house on fire, they can't get their act together, they can't elect a speaker, they can't move any legislation. And it's imperative uh, that Congress approve more aid for Ukraine because what's already been approved is going to run out pretty soon. So and there's obviously also growing opposition among Republican ranks for aid to Ukraine. And it's pretty incoherent because Republicans are demanding that we do everything possible to aid Israel, but a lot of them don't want to aid Ukraine, doesn't make any sense to me because to my mind, these are both embattled democracies facing evil adversaries who kill civilians uh, without compunction, and they are both deserving and worthy of our aid, but that's certainly not the view of perhaps half of the Republican Party. And so, yeah, I'm certainly worried that our political dysfunction will be down to Putin's benefit and and wind up hurting Ukraine. But at the same time, I am cognizant of the fact that two-thirds of both houses, both the House and the Senate, still support Ukraine aid, such as the question of getting a full vote on the House, hopefully sooner rather than later, for the legislation to be approved.
0: What's the cost to both Ukraine and Russia in the wider world if it doesn't get aid from the United States.
1: If Ukraine does not get aid from the United States, I think that will make much more likely a Russian victory. I think Putin is looking his chops at that very prospect. Uh, and it's not to say that Europe is not stepping up. They are. Europe is actually pledged more aid than the United States. They're doing a lot, but there are just limits on arms production in both the U.S. and Europe. In both places, what we've seen is that our defense industrial bases have atrophied over the course of many years. And so neither Europe nor the United States by itself has the capability to supply Ukraine with what it needs. Even combined, both Europe and the United States, they're barely keeping up with Ukraine's demands and needs for ammunition and other supplies. So if the United States suddenly pulls out, that would be a catastrophic event.
0: But can the U.S. afford, does he even have the funding and the supplies to support two wars?
1: Yes, absolutely. The U.S. can afford it. Again, like I said, we have to be a superpower that can walk and chew gum at the same time. And we certainly were for more than 70 plus years. I mean, remember in World War II, we fought both Germany and Japan In throughout the Cold War, uh, we kept the peace in both Northeast Asia as well as in Europe and in the Middle East. And so we certainly have the capability to do that today. I mean, keep in mind that all of the aid that we're giving to Ukraine is still six-tenths of 1% of the federal budget and you know, aid to Israel is, is, is even less than that. So this is certainly something something that is affordable. It is something that we money that we we have and that we need to spend. And it's in our own national security interest to spend it. These are not acts of charity. uh, Because uh, to my mind, both Israel and Ukraine are fighting America's enemies, the enemies of the West, the enemies of democracy, freedom and decency. They are fighting our battles for us. And so we have a massive stake in supporting them.
0: So if, if the US doesn't continue to support Ukraine, what do the American people need to understand about the cost to the U.S. and the wider world. If
1: we don't support Ukraine, it would be a geopolitical catastrophe. Our support for Ukraine already has been arguably the most successful foreign policy we've pursued since the end of the Cold War, because for a very small U.S. investment of money and and no U.S. troops in harm's way, we are supporting the Ukrainians and decimating the Russian military. And Russia is one of our two major geopolitical adversaries along with China. So, you know, by supporting Ukraine, uh, we are having somebody else fight our battles for us. If we stop supporting Ukraine, that will be a victory for Russia. Russia will become more dangerous, and it's not going to stop in Ukraine. They're going to be looking to commit aggression against other countries on their borders that were once part of the Russian Empire. And some of those countries are members of NATO, so that could very easily draw the United States into a direct war with Russia. And even if it doesn't happen, it's going to force us to spend more defense. It's going to embolden not just Putin, but Xi Jinping and China in their quest to take over Taiwan. It's going to make the world a much more dangerous place and the United States much less secure in that world. And I think it will, be, it will also leave the United States just feeling very shabby because we will have abandoned a, a brave democratic ally that was fighting for its freedom. The country that I know and love, the United States, is not a country that abandons democratic allies like that.
0: Putin seems to be actively developing ties with Hamas, Certainly now, Iran, North Korea. It's got these blooming alliances with American arch rivals. How significant of an impact could that have on what's happening in Ukraine and the rest of the world?
1: Well, you're clearly seeing an alignment of anti democratic, anti Western nations and groups that includes China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and some of Iran's proxy forces like Hezbollah and Hamas. That is a grouping of, of countries and terrorist organizations that are increasingly cooperating with one another and for example you see Iran now being an increasingly important supplier of drones uh, for the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine uh, you see North Korea supplying artillery ammunition for Russia you see growing links between Russia and not just Iran but also, Hamas and these other organizations. So there is an alignment against the West that we need to be very cognizant of. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't exaggerate it. We shouldn't say, you know, Russia is behind the attack that Hamas carried out. It, it almost certainly is not, but it is not condemning it either. It is not standing with Israel. And I think it is making clear that these anti Western, anti democratic forces have some rough degree of alignment. And, and we should be very concerned about that. I and mean, we need to show comparable unity on the democratic Western side of the geopolitical or to to combat these threats that we are seeing.
0: If America continues funding Ukraine as the president certainly hopes, would that be enough to counter the support that Russia is now getting from places like Iran and North Korea?
1: I certainly think that if if the US and Europe remain staunch in their support for ukraine they can provide more for ukraine than iran or or north korea are providing for russia i think the real question mark is to what extent is russia able to produce its own munitions and there have been some alarming signs that russia despite sanctions has been able to ramp up weapons production and to keep its forces supplied so it's very hard to say from the outside to what extent or how long russia can keep fighting with it given its current munitions production given its loss rates in Ukraine, given what it's getting from outside sources like North Korea and Iran, but there's no question that we can at least allow Ukraine to fight on an equal footing. I mean, keep in mind, Russia basically has two small countries, Iran and North Korea supplying it. Ukraine has something like 50 countries, including some of the most wealthy countries in the world. We can certainly match what Russia is doing if we have the will to do so. And we have shown that will so far, and I think we need to maintain that.
0: I think that Americans are just weary that it's going on, no end in sight. You know, I
1: I get I get really tired of hearing that Americans are wary. How do you think Ukrainians feel about this? Okay, they are dying every day. They are dying. They're being slaughtered. They are not giving up because they are fighting for their homes, their soil and their families. So I don't want to hear that Americans are tired because we're paying six tenths of one percent of federal spending to support Ukraine. The Ukrainians are paying with their lives to fight the Russian onslaught.
0: Max Boot, historian, Washington Post columnist and senior fellow in national security studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Russian forces are continuing to intensify their attacks in the Kherson region of Ukraine. And as a result, Ukrainian officials are evacuating all children from the onslaught. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv for details. Uh, It sounds like there are some preparations underway to at least make sure the children in the region are safe. What can you tell us?
4: Situation in the Kherson region is extremely difficult extremely tough the shelling is happening every day and uh, we are hearing about damages about victims every day unfortunately and today um, the ministry of reintegration announced that it was uh, the decision was uh, was taken to evacuate more than 800 children from the region uh, particularly from 23 settlements that affected by the sh- by the Russian shelling the most uh, at this point we know that those children will be evacuated to the western and southern part of the country, particularly to Khmelnytskyi, Lviv and Ivano-Frankivsk regions in the west part of the country and to Mykolaiv and Odessa region in the south. This evacuation is mandatory. And do you know where they're going to house them? At least 100 children are planned to be settled in one of the sanatoriums in Ivano-Frankivsk region, which is in the western part of the country, so it's a touristic recreation center. And others, there is no specific details on their location, but uh, it will be somewhere a big amount of people could
0: be allocated. Anna Chernakova reporting for VOA from Kiev. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sweden has moved a step closer to joining the NATO alliance after Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan submitted a bill Monday approving the Nordic country's membership bid to Turkey's parliament for ratification. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg on the bill finally moving forward.
2: Sweden is fully ready to join NATO. The time has come. And following the submission of the ratification documents, I now
3: count on speedy ratification by the Turkish parliament.
0: Meanwhile, the European Union's executive is reportedly set to present an assessment of progress made by Ukraine on its EU membership bid on November 8th. It's a key stepping stone in the bloc's decision on whether to start a session talks with Kyiv. And finally today, a former imp- employee of the U.S. National Security Agency, has pleaded guilty to trying to sell classified information to Russia. We hear the story from Associated Press correspondent Jackie Quinn.
3: 31-year-old Army veteran Jared Dahlke was arrested last fall in Denver when he arrived at a train station with a laptop, ready to transfer classified documents. But he was dealing with an undercover FBI agent who was posing as a Russian official. Dahlke worked as an information system security designer for the NSA. Dalkey admitted to mental health issues and being in debt. Under the plea deal, prosecutors say they will recommend less than 22 years in prison. His lawyer says Dalkey had only worked for the Government Intelligence Agency for less than a month. I'm Jackie Quinn.
0: And that'll do it for us today. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London.
1: This is the voice of America. Washington Bam DC